Our scripture reading today is Mark 8, verses 31 to 33. He then began to teach them at the, that, excuse me, I'm sorry. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This ends a reading of the word of God. Well, thank you, Sister Pam, and uh, thank you for, for everyone in, in, for worship and for, for Rhonda and for, for Allie, for everyone in coordinating this morning to make uh, a service like this happen. And I just want to uh, first invite you to open up your Bibles as we have been teaching through the Bible. I um, want to encourage you to see these things for yourself. Uh, this is not just, just coming from uh, some pastor's ideas. I want you to be able to read these texts for yourself. And as we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 and the text that Pam had just shared in 8 verses, I'll expand a little bit from 831 to 38. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark today. Um, this is We're in chapter 8, so next week we're going to be in chapter 9. Uh, if you'd like to read ahead, it would be great. And if you have a question going into Mark chapter 9, I'd love to be able to address that that question in, in service next Sunday. But I want to begin this morning with a word of prayer. So let's pray. God, you are good. Some of the premises of today's message rests on believing that. That your ways are not our ways. Your ways are better. <laughs> they don't make sense to us at times. They're not how we would do it. But your ways are good. Your ways are better. Today all across this church, I pray we would fall in love with the will of God because we, have, we are in love with Jesus as our Savior and we trust in his way above anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, title today's message before we partake of communion this morning is called An Adversary a friend and your cross. An adversary, a friend and your cross. I heard a little illustration when I was kind of um, studying for this message a little bit. I thought this was really, really good, so we'll give this a shot this morning. All right, you get to have, imagine, you get to have the dog you've always wanted to have. Like maybe the, the ones that like cost like $1,000. I don't know why you'd pay that much for a dog. But anyway, people do this, Okay. Real expensive dog, really, really, you know, the kind of dog you've always wanted, whatever breed it is, okay? But the person that's going to give it to you says, it tells you, 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 you but, but there's only, I only have one term to this. You have to name the dog either God or Satan. That's the name you have to give the dog. Your dog is either going to be God or your dog is either going to be Satan. All right, quickly, quickly, quickly. You got to pick right now. How many of you say you got to choose between the two? How many are you going to name the dog God? Raise your hand. How many are you going to name the dog Satan? Oh, we got, we got a cowboy go with Satan. See, see, this is what's so funny about this because these words, they mean something. And it's like we can't attach this casualness. We can't attach these words to a dog because we don't want to call God. We don't want to have to come home and say, I've got, oh, God pooped all over the house again. Now I've got to clean it up. 
I'm tired of walking with God all the time. Yeah, we don't want to find ourselves saying these casual, irreverent things about God, okay? But is it any better to name the dog Satan, right? Oh, Satan, you are so cute. <laughs> the bond that me and Satan have, we are best friends. We are. We, we love each other, and I just can't let Satan go. It's just part of me now. So neither one of them really work that well, right? No matter what, whichever one you want to you do is awkward. And by the way, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't name your dog these things. And if you have, I apologize that I'm saying that out loud. But I'm sure somebody's got a dog named God. And somebody's got, by the way, the, op- <laughs> the uh, you guys know what God spelled backwards is, right? Yeah, somebody got that idea. And they said, I'm going to name my dog. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name my dog dog backwards. So. Now, and somebody out there has named their dog Satan before too, but the, I share this to get started because this is actually what Jesus does in this text. He takes these words, adversary and friend, the friend we're going to get from another gospel text, but he takes this word, adversary, and is like, you just called him what? You would call one of your disciples adversary? You would call him Satan? So let's get into this text a little bit and understand what what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in these passages. In Mark 8, I'm going to just go right back to the verse that that Pam read. I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm not going to read it. You just, you just take the text that Pam had just read, verses 31 uh, through 33. Focusing on verse 33, okay? Jesus had just said all the things that's going to happen, that the Son of Man is going to suffer, and then Peter says, I love the language, he says, he says, Peter took him, referring to Jesus, aside and rebuked him. Yes, Peter rebuked Jesus, okay? Let me tell you what you did wrong here, Jesus, okay? Let me tell you what you said that was inaccurate. And then, and then when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, first I want to unpack this idea. He says, get behind me. In other words, get in line with me. And the contrast to that, that Jesus is explaining to Peter at this time, is Satan. He says, you're, in other words, you know, we, we, we understand this word often to mean the devil, the demonic, right? But, but the, the, this, the most clean translation is simply adversary, okay? This language that you are using, trying to tell me that I am not to suffer and die, at this moment, Peter, you have become my adversary. You have become in opposition to the will of God. See, we can have religious intentions and good intentions, but not be aligned with the Lord's will. You've heard me say this many times before. Religious people were Jesus' greatest adversaries here on earth. You see that all throughout the gospel. He didn't have trouble with Samaritans and people that we weren't supposed to be around and even people that were hostile. You know, he, he, the, the most hostile people towards him were religious people that, that believed they knew something, that this is how you ought to be doing it, Jesus. This is what you shouldn't be doing. And here even Peter, one of his inner circle, one of the ones that's closest to him, is now rebuking 
Jesus because Jesus, he doesn't think that Jesus has got this right. See, Jesus' way is a way of dignity and respect and affirming life. It's all here. It's, it's all in the New Testament. But, but I want to I get to this. So Peter has this assumption that we've talked about many times before. He says that no, that, that this idea that, that Jesus could not be someone who was going to suffer. Okay, he, It was the idea that Peter is going to be right beside Jesus. He is the Messiah. They're now going to come and overtake Rome, and he's going to be that king that he's always wanted. Again, Peter has always wanted so that Peter could be a part of his kingdom. But all through Isaiah 53, and this, this, it's like this prophecy that is all throughout the Old Testament that, 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 that nobody wanted to hear was that the Messiah is coming to be a suffering servant. He's coming to be a suffering servant. And Jesus used, in the Gospel of Mark, his favorite language to use, which is really Peter. Most people believe Peter is, uh, Mark is Peter's penman. So that this gospel, most scholars believe that this was written and or heavily influenced by Peter himself. The language that Peter uses is son of man. And with this idea is, is more the idea of identifying with our infirmities. Of what Christ is going to have to do on behalf of mankind. Because mankind did this, Christ is going to have to do this on behalf of mankind, exactly right up the alley of Isaiah 53, you know, he carried, a, he carried our infirmities with him, okay? If you want to flip to Isaiah 53 and see what that whole prophecy says. Now, maybe you think this idea of Peter rebuking Jesus is, you know, this is pretty strange, like we, we kind of chuckle about this, like Peter is rebuking Jesus, but we do this kind of stuff today, often in, oftentimes in the context of suffering. In the same context of suffering. When we're going through something that is really hard, that's when we seem to feel the need to give God an earful. Like, I don't think you understand what I'm going through right now. Do you see this? Do you see what's happening to me? I've always been faithful, and now this is happening in my life? See? We have those moments when we rebuke the living God too. I'm going to ask for a raise of hands, but you know in some way you've all felt that way before. Whether it's a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, you've had a bad moment. Be like, God, do you see what's going on here? Is this really the way this works? How could you be God if this type of suffering exists? That's That's some people's, that's probably the most popular answer I hear. I mean, not, not that I survey this, but it's been a very common thing that I've heard. That people can't believe in God because of all of the suffering in this world. They can't believe that a God, a, a, a real God, could allow this stuff to happen. And, and there is some very real suffering going on in this world. Very real suffering going on in this world. And many of you have experienced some of that suffering. But I got to tell you, Lee, this is Lee Strobel. This isn't me. Um, in his book, uh, Case for Faith, he has, a, he has a great point because this is incredibly true. If, if the Lord were to take 99% of the suffering in this world away, if he were to take it all away, okay, 
But there still was that 1%. And it was like some of the easiest suffering to get through. He took 99% of the worst suffering away. But he left that 1%. That like the worst thing that could happen to you is that you would get a flat tire. Okay? That like even when people die, like they don't even die. They're just like, hey, it's about that time. I'm going to schedule my trip to heaven. Just want to say goodbye to everybody. Okay? No tragedy. Nothing tragic about it. Okay? None of those kind of experiences. But... But you could still get a flat tire. You know what we would do? You know what mankind's condition is? You know what we would do in all of that? I have an idea. What's that? Oh, of course we would. She nailed it. We would be consumed and ruminated over that 1%. Prayer chain request. Oh, my gosh, he got a flat tire again. Are you kidding me? A flat tire? He just had one five years ago. How could this be happening to him? Is he standing outside? Is it a little bit humid? Yes, it's humid outside. And there's weeds where he's changing. Oh, my word. God, how could this happen to us? Again, this is what we would do because we find the tragedy. We, we find ways to ruminate on our suffering, on our challenges, and we want to put them somewhere. We focus on the tragic rather than the blessing. Now, guys, you see the, the irony in this, right? Where i got to take you here is because if we believe eternity is what, what, what the Bible says that it is, then this life that we live here is like a shot in the arm. It is very brief. It is like dust. It is very quick to our eternal home. You make the same comparison with what we have here, the privileges that we have here in this nation uh, compared to other places in third world countries across the world. And, and, and we, we must recognize that we are blessed. But see what Jesus, though, is doing. What Jesus is doing in this text is he is affirming suffering. He's not like saying, oh, this thing you're whining about is like somebody having to change a flat tire. That's not what he's doing. He's affirming what you're going through. Because I know what you're going through is tough, and that's why I'm going to go through this kind of stuff too. And as, as Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 tells us, for we do not have a high priest, as Jesus is compared to a high priest, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I'm trying to get my glasses so I can read that. Who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And see, church, this is what Peter didn't want to hear. Suffering? You're, you're, you're the king, and now you're going to go through suffering? You're going to subject yourself to this? And, and eventually he would come to learn that I'm now going to subject myself to this as well. Now we're going to get back to that in a minute, but I want to go on to the next one. The next one in Matthew 26 is in Matthew 26, verse 50. I meant to put the easy worship up there, but I, I, I mean the, the verse up there, but I want to just go ahead and tell you what's going on here because I don't know if you notice the irony. Jesus looks at Peter, one of the greatest disciples and apostles, and you know, we, we have books written by Peter as well. Okay, He looks at Peter and he calls him Satan. Remember, it said that Satan himself actually entered Judas in the gospel. You guys know what he called Judas when he saw him, when he came and he betrayed him? 
It's on the, it's on, it's part of the sermon title. Friend. He looks at Peter, he calls him Satan. He looks at Judas and he calls him friend. What in the world is this all about? That opposition, conflict, and betrayal in the will of God, they were all to be expected. Let me say that again. For those who choose to pursue the will of God, opposition, conflict, betrayal are all to be expected. And this was all so that Christ could show, just as you and I have now been called to, to show a better way. See, the gospel is about strength. It's about salvation, but it's also about strength and perseverance and maturity. First James 1, 2 through 4 says that, if you can put that text up there, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, in this moment, it's pretty profound when Jesus says, get behind me. In other words, Follow me. No longer be in opposite. Other gospels don't use that language. They just say, get away from me, Satan. Okay? But, but in Mark's gospel, he says, get in line with me. Get behind me. Follow me. In other words, he's saying, too, that conflict, this is true of Peter, just as it's true for all of you today. Okay? This isn't the most encouraging, exciting word, but we say these kinds of things even as... Even as we don't know, I'm not, you, you guys know me long enough to know I'm not any doomsday predictor or I'm not that pessimistic of a person by any means, but we don't know that we're on the brink of World War III right now. Who knows where all this stuff leads? We just don't know, okay? I'm not going to try to predict anything. You know, nobody could predict COVID, okay? We don't know what's happening. I, when, I think when COVID came, I said, oh, let's just be a couple months. We'll get over this real quick. It was wrong. But... Here is the message that Jesus is giving to Peter, just as he's always giving to you and I. Conflict is coming, and we will perceive it in the wrong way if we see our purpose in this conflict the wrong way. See, sometimes we, we know that we are supposed to fight. We know that we're supposed to be strong. We know that we have a God that is present with us, but, but daggone it, Ephesians 6, 12, what does Ephesians 6, 12 say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers uh, of this dark world, and against the, the next text there, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That this thing that we wrestle against isn't the kind of fight that Peter was expecting, and it's still not the kind of fight that, that many of us choose to engage in rather then pursue the will of the Lord. We still, even as Christ followers, find ourselves biting, devouring, and destroying each other, tearing each other down, and somehow think that's the will of the Lord. Come on. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying is the problem. Peter, you want to pick up your sword again. Get in line. Fall behind me. Follow me. And this is... And, and he has Judas that comes to him as a friend. He call, excuse me, he calls him friend. Saying something 
about the expectation of conflict. The expectation that these things needed to be in place so that the Lord could fulfill his will. All right, I'm, uh, I got to tell this story again. I know I've told it a million times, but hey, I, this will be the last time I tell it, I promise, okay? You've all heard some of my stories, but I know most of you have it. How many of you remember my Splash Mountain story? Okay, right, good. I'm telling it again. Okay, three hands. Sorry, you guys can take a break if you want, just downstairs for a second. But I got to tell the story again just because it, it fits right here so well. And it's such a shallow story, very shallow, like petty life kind of stuff with a very deep meaning because, because as, as an American today, we got to find ourselves right here in the middle of this, okay? Um, when the twins were four years old, I took, we took them to Disney World for the first time, okay? And, you know, all day long, we sp- waited in line having princesses sign autographs, okay? Don't tell your kids. People dressed up as princesses signing autographs, okay? Actually saying they were the real Cinderella, okay? I called them out and it wasn't real Cinderella. Okay, she's animated. You're not. So, but anyway, but they, but this is what we did all day. And then finally, Dad's me referring to me is, can we just like ride one adult ride? You know, I see that like log ride, that Splash Mountain ride where you go down, everybody gets wet. I think the kids could handle that. So we go and we. So I finally talked Mandy into doing it. And as we are walking over the bridge to the ride, uh, the twins actually Allie sees the big hill that's going down at the end, and she says, "Dad, we're not riding that, are we?" <laughs> I said, oh, we'll see, honey. We'll see. And so we go get in line, and things start going wrong, okay, with the ride while we're in line, okay, which is usually a sign you probably shouldn't ride the ride, but for me, that just makes it more exciting, okay? But things start going wrong at that time, and they keep coming over the PA telling us that we got to wait even longer, okay? So this and now, and there's a parade coming, this, like, night parade where they put all these lights and stuff, and Mandy really wants to go to this. So now we're having a, an argument in front of our kids about whether we should stay in this line or get the heck out of line and go to the parade. And I, we're almost there. We're almost there. Let's just stay in the line a little bit longer. So I went, somehow I won that argument. And we stayed in the line, and, uh, and we, got on, we got on the ride, and Allie was with me. And, and, I, and I remember all these little hills. That you, there's all these little hills that you go over. And each time we go over a little hill, I said, okay, Allie, we're going to go down a hill. So just lean in real close. And as we go through this hill, so as we go down this little hill, she leans in, and it was kind of fun. Okay, and then here comes another little hill. She leans in, and it's really fun. Here comes another little hill. She leans in, and it's really fun. And then guess what's last? The big hill, right? Allie, here's that big hill that, we talk, that you saw going in. Okay, but now I just want you to do the same thing you did each and every time. Lean in, and we'll go down this hill, all right? So she leaned in, and we go down this hill with a big smile on her face. Now, the moral of the story, and church, you got to find yourself in the story, because this is what us spoiled Americans do all the time. As Christ followers, we live in fantasy land, don't we? In this country, we really do. We have a lot of resources. We have a lot of privileges. And some, for some strange reason, we believe faith is that God's got something for us. He's going to give us something. It's going to be great. And I don't, it hasn't happened yet. But, man, I'm just going to keep waiting, okay? I'm going to keep waiting in this line. I know it's coming at the end of that tunnel. And I want you to see yourself as a perspective of a four-year-old at this time. That, that we're waiting, Mom and Dad. I trust them with this. They said this is going to be fun. And we're waiting in this line. This is going to be great. But what if what you are waiting for is actually something you're scared to death of? 
Something that in a million years you would never sign up for. But the Lord, in his sovereignty, says, yeah, will you just trust me along the way? Because the greatest goal of faith is that we learn how to lean into him in each and every one of those moments. So see, the accomplishment of faith is not how much money we have, how big our house is, what kind of car we drive, how, how many f- different friends we have on Facebook or whatever social ministry. The accomplishment is the moment when we go through something tough, when we go through some suffering, and we actually have like a half smile on our face every moment that we go through it because the God that was there with us at the beginning is the God that's there with us now. And I can't help but be so thankful for what he has brought me through. And that is the testimony of faith that Christ has called us to. That's the testimony that Peter couldn't understand when he starts talking about suffering and saying the Son of Man is going to suffer and he's going he's to go through many different trials. And this is what Jesus is telling him. And so finally, this last piece, we talked about an adversary, a friend, and then the last piece is your cross. And we find this in verses 34 through 38. I want to read this verse to you. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what could anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Now, I want you to notice first what Jesus just did. Okay, we, As Christians, we read this and forget that Jesus was saying this before the crucifixion. So he's mentioning a cross before the cross. He's asking his disciples to take up their cross before he even ever took up one, okay? Before he was crucified on the cross. Jesus already knows where this is headed. And he's speaking to his disciples to identify with that symbol of what it was in that day. It was a symbol where Romans didn't even crucify their own people. It was the most brutal of all deaths of that day. And it was meant to be done as a spectacle. And yes, people would come out to be entertained by people being crucified and even have the privilege to participate in throwing stuff at them or, or, or whipping them, whatever they wanted to, as they walked through and paraded through town. This is what Jesus would be subjected to, but it's also what he's giving his disciples as a symbol to say, this is what following me is going to be like sometimes. Take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus took upon Hebrews 12 too. He took upon that cross for that feeling of inferiority. For anyone ever feeling like they were not good enough, and maybe he's talking to you this morning, he says, fixing our eyes, the Hebrew author says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. What Jesus is describing here in this text as he's communicating to Peter and his disciples is sacrificial humility. 
we can be humble. I think it's, we feel like we're doing a good thing when we're humble and it doesn't cost us anything. But Jesus is calling us to sacrificial humility. And the reason why is even defined in in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, right here, which says, to another faith, oh, did I get the wrong verse? I sure did. uh, That would have been my fault. But it simply says his power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. As we prepare for communion, I want to ask Jill and Clint to to come and and to begin to prepare the elements as we get ready to transition to communion today. I want to share a few final closing thoughts here. I want you to notice what Peter and Judas had in common. It's actually what Peter, and excuse me, what Jesus had in common in the case of Judas. They both needed to subject themselves to something. In other words, they both needed to submit themselves to something. Hear me, in Peter's case, he needed to subject himself to the Lord's will. Peter has his ideas of how this was supposed to go. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get in line, Peter. Submit yourselves to the ways of God because they're not exactly how you perceive them. And Jesus, on the other side, okay, had to submit himself to conflict, to uh, to suffering. Jesus was saying, as he was saying yes to Judas, to these conflicts being in place, this great conflict that he would endure, he was submitting himself to this conflict. I just want to encourage you as we prepare for communion just to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. You see, this last text is the bridge for both of them. The bridge for both of these is right here when Jesus says, take up your cross, conflict, trial, tribulation, and follow me. Get behind me, Satan. Take up your cross and follow me. See, as we come to communion, conclude our service and we come to communion, we we must be reminded that When we partake of these elements, this isn't just meant to be a a weightless sacrament. You are subjecting yourself to something. You are partaking of the life of Christ. You are partaking of the, the symbol of the blood of Christ. You are saying yes to submitting to the Lord's will in this moment. So now with everyone's heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to consider what that is. What is that submit moment for me? What are, all the things that, what are all the things that I have perceived that is not God's will at all? Maybe it's, maybe it's the idea of maybe there's a conflict going on in your life and you're kind of like cursing God for it and trying to run away from it right now. What does embracing this conflict and allowing God to show you something in the middle of it look like for you in this moment? So I want to consider you. So this time I want to invite uh, Chris, I don't know if you're going to begin to play some, some music. In just a few moments, I'll, I'll come by and dis- dismiss. I want to read these texts as we prepare our hearts.
for communion. And you're, you're, you're invited to always come forth when you're ready. I'll be uh, dismissing you from, from row to row. But as you come, I hope you see yourself submitting to the Lord's will. It says that on the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to begin dismissing you by rose. If you would be in need of prayer, I would love to have the privilege to pray for you. We'll just step back and let the others through and be happy to pray for you before you come forward today. All right, this time we'll begin dismissing you for communion. And if you would need the plastics, they are back at the back table as well.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your command. This is one of the things that we do because, Jesus, you told us to. To continue to partake of your blood. To continue to partake of your body. To continue to be reminded of who we are. To continue to do this in community. Be reminded of who we are together. And continue to submit ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. To continue to take up our cross 